Good morning, everybody. Hope you can hear me. I'm going to try and hold this as I've been briefed. If you can't hear me, wave, wave somebody. So this is a big subject. I feel like I've got about three days' worth of stuff I want to talk to here. I promise you it won't go on that long. Um, I am really quite emotional about this subject. I'm just getting it out. It's quite a challenge. I've gone through all kind of emotions, I'm sure you guys have as well, through this, this series. This is the third of, of five. Hopefully, some of you have seen or heard um, what Ruth and Chris Wake both had to say in terms of why we should care, what we should care about, what this should mean to us as Christians as well as as citizens. Um, full disclosure, I'm not a climate expert. I'm not running a communist conspiracy. I'm not flogging any green products or shilling on any social network site. I'm just a citizen and a Christian who frankly is feeling really upset for the state of our planet and really guilty for what we have done to our planet and are still doing. And as I'll go on to say, as a white man in the Western world of a certain age, I think I'm right in the middle of the cause of the problem and not necessarily at the center of the solution yet. Chris talked, I thought, very potently about Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, and the 40-year battle to eradicate slavery, which is another great invention of the United Kingdom. It took 40 years. I went back and watched the rather amazing, amazing Grace film, which I would recommend with Benedict Cumberbatch. And, uh, and there are so many elements of that, but one part of, I think he was 25 years in, struggling from health, trying to bring people, influential people, House of Lords, people with money, people with a voice, to support his cause as it was becoming. And nobody was listening. He had five bills already turned down by the government. A lot of self-serving interests weren't favored by closing down slavery. That was the source of their income. And at one point, he took a group to, this is, I think, a faithful um, truth, to the Bristol docks. And he had to show people the boats on which slaves had been brought across the Atlantic. And they had to smell rotting flesh to really understand the injustice that had been brought about by slavery. Um, and this and the pennies finally started to drop when we're brought in contact with human beings that are suffering. Only then do we seem to be able to process it. Regardless of what the BBC says every day in the films that we see, and David Atom has been talking for 10 years, scientists have been talking, I went back for, for 40 years about greenhouse gases. This is not a new story. This is a car crash in slow motion, and we're all driving. So this won't all be depressing, but a lot of it will be. <laughs> um, but I think we need to absorb this. We need to sit in it. It's a bit like grief. It could be the grief of our planet. If you listen to scientists, which I think now there is a body of evidence, hopefully there aren't too many people in the room who disbelieve what we're hearing from the IPCC and the global bodies who are now aligning. For example, 40% of the Arctic's permafrost will thaw by the end of the 21st century. The increase in greenhouse gases is already at 1.1 degree and heading towards three and can't go below 1.5 for us to stop a catastrophic tipping point. 
we've seen every day, and Ruth showed some of the, the local floods. Um, half of amphibians uh, are imperiled. 2.9 billion birds have, have, have died since, have become extinct since 1970 in North America alone. The coral reefs might not get past 2050. In 2020, United Nations report estimated more than a million species are in danger of extinction over the next three decades. It's, it's actually quite overwhelming, and I just, I just feel like crying continually, as I suspect you do. 21,000 populations of mammals have declined by 68%. Species in Latin America declined by 94% similarly in global freshwater habitats. It goes on, it's, it's, it's catastrophic. Uh, and it also has huge economic negative impacts. World Economic Forum, not traditionally considered to be tree huggers by any definition, listed their top five global risks as all being environmental, extreme weather, climate action failure, natural disasters, biodiversity, loss, economic impacts that will hit us all. And the problem just feels too big for any one organization or government, and certainly individual. So it requires us all to play our part. The problem is, and I've been, many, many of you probably feeling angry at a lot of other people, um, at China, Donald Trump, America, corporates, oil and gas, goes on and on and on. People that have either been negligent or contributing to the problem. But I came to pretty quickly realize that we're at the center of that. We vote for governments, we buy products from companies. So sadly, we are all compliant and we all have a collective responsibility. As Christians, a bit like Wilberforce, I do feel that we should be at the front of challenging what we see as a negative outcome for our country, not, not lagging and not following, and be brave enough and clear enough in our hearts and our minds to communicate that to others, to pray, to reflect. But we really can't ignore it, because if we do ignore it, we are surely part of the problem. A few weeks ago, Pope Francis, Justin Welby, and the head of the Ecumenical Church agreed to co-publish, which was a bit of a first. Uh, and I'll read a few lines, if I can, from them, because they put it far better than I could. Whatever the beliefs of the worldview, we need to listen to the cry of the earth and of people who are poor. In particular, this is a justice issue. We stand before a harsh justice, biodiversity loss, degradation, climate change, consequence, inevitable consequences of our action. We greedily consume more of the Earth's resources than the planet can endure. We are today paying the price of climate emergency, and tomorrow could be worse. It goes on. I won't read it all, but I think it's, it's both clear, it's courageous, it's impassioned, this is a critical moment. Our children's future and the future of our common home depends on it. We ask everybody to pray for world leaders, which we will do today ahead of COP26 in Glasgow in two weeks, to make their quotes meaningful sacrifices for the sake of the planet, working together, taking responsibility for how we use our resources. You know, that is speaking to us, to all of us. And most importantly, to emphasize that the state of injustice we, the profound injustice is really that the people bearing, and forgive me, you may already know this stuff, but I think it is worth saying, 
Again, the people bearing the most catastrophic consequences are the poorest on the planet, not us, and have been the least responsible for causing them, not us. When you see floods, floods in Bangladesh and the Maldives, potentially disappearing Madagascar, areas of famine, sub-Saharan regions, Central Africa. Uh, Catherine, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, Tear Fund, if you saw one of the videos, put it well. I think there's a slide, if we could just roll forward a couple more to see the contrast between, in the USA, there are floods here. In Texas, $8 billion of crops were lost, but almost certainly many of these were insured. So while it was potentially catastrophic, there was some mitigation. In Syria, that's probably the last of their crops, the last of their income. There will be no insurance. It's a life and death issue. The floods that, again, I think you see there are deeply aggravating and frustrating if you're trying to get to work on a Monday morning. In Bangladesh, two-thirds of the country was flooded. People are losing their lives. All cattle will be drowned. It's truly catastrophic. So we can ignore it. We can carry on. We keep doing our lives and looking through the reverse end of a telescope and saying that's a long way away. It's not us, but it is us because we only have the one planet. And they're saying on top of that that this could unwind, the UN is saying, it could unwind the last 50 years of poverty reduction. Uh, and all this has really happened in the last 30 years. I'll jump on. Um, part of this, I think, in the UK is we're really rather lucky. We sit here. We don't have floods. There were floods in Worcester Park, as Ruth showed. But on a daily basis, we're not suffering forest fires like they are in Sydney or California. We can get insurance on our houses, unlike in California, where you can't. Um, I could go on. We don't have coral reefs seeing destroyed day by day. Um, but it is happening. And we need to, we're not being honest if we're not accepting it. Um, Proverbs 31 was very eloquent, if we could come on on this subject. Um, 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I think that's an obligation on us as citizens. It most certainly is as Christians. And we should be caring, we should be stewarding the planet and all of creation is consistent, I think, with our Christian beliefs. When I get fused, confused rather, on what to do, I tend to look back to Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the, excuse me, thou shalt love the God, thy Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, which is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Simple words, but are we really living to these? The question I ask myself. This is a pithier version in American, but I think we get it. They spell things strangely there, but we get it. So I'll pick up the pace a bit. If we could go on to the next slide. So this, apologies, you want me to see all of this. Um, as I said, I think I came to realize pretty quickly that I am part of the problem. I feel at the center of the problem. Doreen probably isn't. Doreen, I suspect, lives. I did ask permission to name drop Doreen. You didn't mind, did you, Doreen? Um, Doreen won't be traveling around the world long haul like I did. She probably won't be driving too much like I did. 
she probably leaves quite a light green footprint. I suspect it won't be zero, because for none of us will it be zero. Um, but you know, only two years ago, I was guilty of all those things, and more. So if you refer back to Wilberforce, I felt more like John Newton in that film than anybody else, who was the ex-slave slaver captain contributing to the problem. He spent the second half of his life repenting, and then he wrote the beautiful Amazing Grace, which I think encapsulates his repentance. And that was the sense that I genuinely got when I was writing this down, thinking, so I'm not going to be wagging fingers at anybody. I'm probably going to be asking you for your forgiveness. So across these, I'll go into some practical details, and we're going to send out, if it's helpful, a checklist of... of 70 plus ideas that everybody could potentially engage with. There is no prescription here. There is no single answer for any of us. All our situations are different and we're all starting from a different place and we'll all have various levels of contribution to this situation. This was my snapshot. I was trying to assess my 2018 position. So I was eating a lot of meat, drinking a lot of milk, flying far too much, um, driving a family car, inherited a second car when my mum died, but um, that wasn't driven so much, but it still was used locally. Uh, housing on our house, like probably for all of us, 1930s house, was pretty poor. Uh, an old combi boiler, which is not the worst, but certainly not the best either, and gas heating, as for all of us we're hearing, particularly recently with the crisis, is a huge contribution. So in total, I think the average footprint for a UK adult is between 10 and 13 tons of carbon a year. This is how and I, I estimated I got with a calculator about 12 tons in 2018. Pretty terrible and well worse than the average. So what am I going to do about it and what can we do? The conclusion from this, I realized that my whole life was frankly designed around my convenience and pleasure lifestyle and not around the health of the planet. I tried to ignore that plain truth, but any way I turned, I couldn't. If we could just go on to the next. This, you guys probably know already, our cars are major contributors, depending on what we drive and how efficient they are. Anywhere from remembering that 10 tons per year for each of us is the average. We can generate between 1 and 13 tons just by driving. So that's on top of your energy, on top of your food, on top of your shopping. Um, that could take you beyond 10 purely by driving a low-efficiency car. You know, for many years, we talk about even today, if you're looking at buying a second-hand car, people say 10 to 15,000 is the average number of miles per year. It probably is for many of us. It certainly was for me. So if you're doing 10,000 in a 40-mile-an-hour average, that's 2.7. That's 27% of your carbon footprint just through one car that you're driving. And it could get worse. Flying, another sin I'm guilty of. We used to enjoy, in a relatively low guilt way, traveling around the world. We thought to educate our children, see another part of the world that they hadn't seen and we hadn't seen. To get to Bangkok in Thailand and back is 3.2 tons. That's 32% of a 10-ton average. 
even to go to New York, 1.5, that's 15%. So this is dramatic. Uh, these are dramatic contributors to my footprint. Um, I haven't got time to go through all of them, but if you look at quickly investment, this slide hasn't really come up, but you think, well, so a lot of us don't have savings to invest. Um, some of us do, some of us have pensions. And if we do have pensions, do we know where the money goes? Does that prop up fossil providers? Quite possibly. Historically, a lot of pension funds were linked to companies like Shell and BP, and a big percentage of the income that we would be saving for our retirement would go straight into perpetuating fossil fuels. Not great for the planet. Um, and we wouldn't have any control. That is now shifting quite dramatically, to the extent where pension providers like, and there's a whole list of long names, family na familiar names like Aviva, Fidelity, Legal and General, Scottish Widows, the big pension fund providers will do offer ethical investment funds so you can avoid oil, gas, guns, things that aren't what is now called ESG. And you can actively invest in ethical investments, so you can not be as much a part of the problem. If you look at food here, this is something, again, sorry, the slide hasn't come out so well, but I think most people know now that beef and dairy are major contributors, particularly to methane. Um, there's a lot of very proven science here. Uh, a regular portion of beef once a week, uh, each portion contributes 10 kilograms because of the high amount of methane created by cattle into the atmosphere. So have two portions a week, that's a ton a year, purely from beef or lamb. Lamb's slightly less, but similar. One portion of beef a week, plate of steak, that's half a ton, pretty miserable. Um, white meat is less, and fish is less. Uh, and of course, veg vegetable and vegan foods are, are less again. So I don't think anybody's saying dramatically go to zero. What everybody is saying is be mindful, be thoughtful, be flexible. Can you reduce? Can you contribute? Be aware of what our footprints are. Um, we go on to shopping. Sorry, these are all a bit gloomy, but uh, I feel obliged to go through them. Uh, Anita Roddick, who ran the body shop some years ago uh, as an ethical retail organization, talked about the mindset of customers. And she sought to think like a customer and be more eco-aware and environmentally aware um, and design her business around that. Um, however, UK today is the fourth largest producer of textile waste in Europe. 200,000 tons of our clothes go into uh, landfill, uh, sorry, are, are going to waste every year, of which 60% go into landfill. Landville contributes 120,000 tons of carbon through methane. That's 3% of the UK total just through textiles. Only 30% are recycled or are recycled. That's quite sobering. So there is a responsibility on retailers. There is a responsibility on manufacturers, absolutely. But there's also a responsibility on us to be thoughtful, to think, to think what's behind the label and not just operate on the click of a mobile to buy whatever's convenient, I think. Um, and that's before you get into the supply chain, the injustices and sweat labor, and then the, maybe the painful treatment on animals for, for animal products. I uh, haven't got time to go into all of that, which you'll be glad for, but <laughs> there's a lot to read if you've got the time and the energy. Um, so the good news is we do have, so I think this is from Matthew, 
a reflection which I think we're all aware of as Christians in how to think. To mitigate this hunger society seems to have around consumerism and, and maybe reckless consumerism at times. And thinking what our life's really about and what Jesus wants our life to be about. So if we move on, uh, that was just quite a simple phrase. It's not, I think it's founded on biblical thinking, but if we keep on again, maybe. Um, so we are individuals, we feel powerless, we feel anxious, we feel frustrated. We do, however, have a voice. We are voters, we are buyers. In combination with, I would suggest, this community, we can have, amplify our voice, we can be clearer, we can be clear about what we think by helping ourselves to work out, if you like, the fake news and the misinformation from the stuff that we really should be focused on. Many of these changes we can make are actually very simple. Um, and we can also apply our voice to deter people with maybe more power, more control to do the right thing. So we're not just passively allowing this car crash to happen in front of us and sitting by the side of the road watching it. Rachel's going to say, I think, a bit more about this. But I think the key themes are probably not surprisingly that we can petition companies either with and through charities like Greenpeace, like World Wildlife Fund. Um, I've even put Insulate there. I thought they were kind of a bit wacky and extreme when I first saw them. But I think this whole thing about insulating households is so central to the issue in the UK where we have the worst housing stock in Europe. And most of our energy is going through the roof. Uh, and then influencing government. And this is not a political view. I don't mind which party's in power, but rather the fact that the government is, is running the country and therefore they have a responsibility. Next, I think tomorrow, the Chancellor is going to talk about how much money he puts into energy and household and climate before COP26. You know, don't be shy. Feel free to write to your MP. They make themselves accessible. Campaign if you wish. Be thoughtful. There are lots of ways of having our voice heard. And I do think as Christians, like with Wilberforce, we have a moral imperative to be thoughtful and to express our views and to be thoughtful leaders, reference back to the scriptures. Uh, Martin Luther King said this, it wasn't the first time this had been said. He clearly, as a champion for civil rights in America in the 60s, witnessed a lot of what he thought were great evils. Um, we might think that what's being done to the planet is, is a bit of an evil. And if we're doing nothing, and we had some wonderful house group conversation in the last few weeks where, you know, I really value the honesty that people bring into the room, and we're all able to say, yes, we all have been a bit apathetic. I know I have. I know I've sat back and made my life convenient and enjoyed the life for the cost. I think we've got to now really think. Now is the time to not be apathetic, to be thoughtful, to be constructive. You have no chance of reading any of this, so this is intended to be a summary of what I'll send out. Um, we'll send out as a group. The group of five has put together a checklist to help to prompt. There's a lot of stuff. I couldn't believe how long it took me to absorb so many different sources of information. So we've tried to do that. Um, some of the ideas here are, are very expensive, and a lot of um, green initiatives have been challenged for being expensive. Buying an electric car is not simple or easy. Insulating your house is not low cost, but some of these are free. Some of them even generate cash. So if you think about reducing your thermostat by one degree, the simplest thing that probably your folks and your grandparents would have said, came through the war, minded, you know, watch the temperature, Howard. 
one degree corresponds to 0.3 tons of carbon a year. That's a pretty big number. Um, switching lights off in empty rooms, something that with teenage kids I found myself doing quite a lot. I now have to monitor myself because the excuse of them is gone because they're not in the house anymore, so it must be me that I'm switching the light off after. Recycling food, not really a cost, a bit of inconvenience. Um, filling up a dishwasher so it's full before you press the switch. Similarly with a kettle, how much water is in there? Am I boiling two pints to just have a cup of tea? Probably not very clever. There's lots of really simple, easy stuff that we can all do and hopefully feel a bit better at ourselves that we're making a bit of a contribution. Um, and there are some things that are maybe further off. So if we could keep going, I tried to take this a bit literally because I was, as you can see, prosecuting myself um, and trying to tell myself these, these things. And I'm trying to now embed it as habits every day. And I'm not quite there, to be honest. I'm still at the point of bad Red Howard trying to change his habits to be a bit greener. Um, and there's lots of reasons for our struggle. And I ticked every one of these myself in our house group. We went through them. We've all felt denial, pointing the finger at other people, um, a lack of motivation, not quite as inconvenient as the way I'd like to live my life, exhaustion, fatigue, not a habit, etc., etc. The hardest of this is probably affordability. Um, and and I think we should all apply that filter in terms of what we can generally do, what we can afford to do. Um, I tried, I think that the, the advice, if we're all going to lobby our governments to say, get to net zero by 2050, we all need our governments to get halfway by 2030. That means in simple terms, reduce by 10% a year where we're starting from. So if I'm starting at 10, which I am in 21, I need to reduce by one ton next year. And then my 10% again, 0.9 and then 0.8, etc., to get anywhere near five tons by 2030. So I'm using a simple app and trying to track this um, and make a start and then bed in some habits, which I think is the simplest way for all of us, whatever they are. And that's the personal choice. Um, so some of these are me are really challenging. Like I love nothing more than a long haul flight to sacrifice that. Yes, it's a luxury, but I'm just not going to be able to do that in good conscience. Um, I'd love to be able to insulate my house and buy an air boiler, but I'm still working out how to do it, how to afford it, etc. It's complicated. It'll become less complicated. And if it's subsidized, it'll be easier for all of us. Um, some of these are self-explanatory, and the ones on the bottom left, and hopefully you'll see if, from, from the, the ideas that we send out that some of these really are very doable and easy, and we can all do them. Um, I've switched on some and found that my life hasn't ended. I don't need a bacon sandwich every three days. I absolutely was brought up thinking I did and the world would end. I stopped eating bacon sandwiches with the greatest joy of my life, I thought, after long-haul travel. Um, and I'm still standing here, so it can't be so bad. So there are things that are just in our heads as habits, I'd suggest. Um, but it's very personal. It's for you. This is the beginning of my plan. Um, I'm going to try and... I'm asking my wife to hold me to account here and make sure I do follow through and I'm as disciplined as she is. And then we've got half a chance of making a start on this stuff. So I think there's a couple more. So this was my summary. I apologize, I've gone through quite quickly, but I was trying to get through on time. Um, I think this is now the only thing here that is not personal. I think he's doing nothing. I think, we, I think personally we have an obligation 
and I would like to think of us as being at the front of this in the same way that Pope Francis and Welby spoke out that as Christians and citizens, we should be at the front of this. We should be educating others, our friends, our family, our children. Um, we do have a special motivation, I believe, in the same way that Wilberforce felt that for eradicating of slavery. And I'd like to see us channel that into energy and courage, which is principled, um, to have the voice to hold our companies and governments to account. Because if we're not doing it, how do we hold them to account? Um, but we do choose the plans that work for us. And we pray fundamentally, the only way we're going to do this is together, I think. The only way I feel I'm going to be able to do it is with the love and support of family and friends and congregation and you guys to both challenge me and, and to provide support. And so we keep our mindset as one of hope and determination, not of fatalism or apathy. And my only ask is that you just think of, if you forget everything else, just think of a first step, a first thing to do, to just get into this mindset. You may be well ahead of me, you probably already are, and I'm the laggard here. Um, so the last the conclusion for me is to eradicate Red Howard, get rid of him uh, forever, and hopefully soon there'll be a green version of that picture. So I'm going to stop there and ask if we could pray. Lord, we raise up the world leaders attending COP26 to you, and we ask you to bring them together. We ask you to show wisdom in making important decisions to protect our planet, to protect all our species and nature who are today threatened with terrible extinction. And we ask for your support that we can collectively reduce global warming. We ask for global leaders to think more widely, not only at their own national interests and agendas, but to show deep compassion for the poorest and most vulnerable in the world who are already and will continue to suffer the most. Lord, help us as individuals. Help us to do what we can do, whatever we can do, to help our country reduce the greenhouse gases, to reduce our footprint. We recognize we need to make sacrifices. We may need to make sacrifices, and we ask for your love, for your support. We put our faith in you, Lord. Amen.